that, that was the goal, is who were the men and women in the early church that built the church? Um, and uh, one of the things that we've said is that they were on the margins. There's not a ton of content about them, but they were never marginal. I think that's really important for us. Is sometimes we can feel on the margins that we're not important or what we're doing doesn't matter or no one cares about us. But the picture of the New Testament is different, is that these people who were on the margins, they were never marginal. And um, last night, I'll just share a, a story with you guys. So my wife and I went on a date last night. It was exciting. Um, yeah, that's one of my, um, one of my uh, New Year's kind of goals, was to just take her on a, a date with, um, you know, get babysitters lined up so we can have an adult conversation, because sometimes that's hard when you got kids screaming. So we went on a date, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings, it was pretty cool, uh, in the avenues, and we went to walk around in the avenues, and my expectations are like, you know, we just had some really good food, um, we're going to go on a walk, it'll be relaxing, it'll be fun. So we just start going on a walk, and about 36 seconds later, um, we somehow wound up in a department store. <laughs> and like right when we were walking in, my wife's just like, can I come, go in here real quick and grab something? I just wasn't thinking. Maybe I was just like really happy and euphoric from the meal. But I should, like warning bells should have gone off. <laughs> I should have said liar because no one ever, no woman ever walks in really quick into a department store. We walk in, and about 10 seconds later, my brain wakes up, though. And I, and I lean over to her and goes, what's our purpose here? <laughs> like, what, what are we accomplishing here? What's the goal? What's the mission? I said, oh, nothing, just looking around. Um, 35 minutes later, um, it mo mostly the female areas of the store, um, we left. But we're talking about leadership, and what's really funny, even in the New Testament, some of the, uh, Jesus' disciples, they're like, hey, Jesus, man, who's going to lead when you leave? Like, like, what's the purpose? I've got it. You know, let us lead. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. It's about serving. And see, last night on that date, I was like, hey, my expectations were we'd walk around, we'd talk. But how often does my wife get to shop alone without three little gremlins at her side? The answer is never. And so that night was just about serving her. And that's what leadership looks like a lot of times. It looks like serving, not necessarily getting what you want, but still enjoying. And the value of our date night was that it was just time together. It was time with one another. And that's what was precious and beautiful. And as we look at the early church, I think that's what they thought was precious and beautiful too, was just getting time with one another while living for God. So we're going to look at um, uh, a new guy this week. But before I do, maybe you're new here, maybe uh, you missed a week or two. So I'm going to offer you guys a quick recap to the people that we've looked at, um, just to kind of, uh, again, I think that helps memory retention. It helps us just um, go over the ground that we've covered. And there's some really good lessons. Um, so week one, we looked at Titus, and um, Titus was a, a companion of, uh, of Paul. But we looked at, he was supposed to put in order the things that still needed doing. We kicked off the new year with that. Because I think in all our lives, we have to put in order the things that still need doing. Except for it wasn't like put in order like clean your room or get your car on oil change or complete your taxes. That's not the things that still needed doing. See, for Titus, the things that still needed doing was starting with the unfinished area of character. And I think that's important in our lives. 
If we're going to accomplish the things that still need doing, we should probably look within and that there's unfinished areas of character in our lives. Week two, we looked at Timothy. And again, Timothy, another younger guy, um, probably in his early 30s. So yeah, younger guy, okay, younger guy. Um, But Paul's challenge was, hey man, you're not as mature as you think. Grow your faith. Fight the good fight. And that can happen to us as Christians. Sometimes we think we're mature. We got everything down. We know what we're doing. And Paul is just kind of encouraging this guy, hey, you, you still need to grow your faith. While there's breath in your body, grow your faith. Fight the good fight. Week three, um, my co-pastor Frank did a phenomenal job looking at this marriage, uh, married team, Priscilla and Aquila, um, and he met them as refugees in Corinth. And um, Frank made two great points. Um, I feel like, man, if you're gonna go back and listen to a teaching, go back and listen to that one, especially if you're a married couple or you're considering marriage. And uh, he shared, live as co-workers in Christ. And one of the things he shared was that if you're actually co-working together with your spouse in in ministry or for the church, that can actually serve to guard your marriage. I think one of the coolest things about Awaken is like we have so many couples that do ministry together. It's just really cool to see whether they're hosting home groups or they're working in the sound and hospitality or on the worship teams. And then also Frank shared maximize each other's gifts. So oftentimes we think we need to like maximize our strengths. Like, hey, if it's really good, let me do it. But I love that point, maximize each other's strengths. And then last we looked at John Mark, um, again, another younger guy who failed. Like he dropped the ball, he screwed up, he messed up. He left. And maybe that's where some of you guys have been. Like you dropped the ball, you left, you checked out. You're like, ah, I don't wanna do this anymore. And Frank shared that, hey, what you do in obscurity and after failure oftentimes determines leadership. Because it's so easy just to be like, whatever, I'm done. But it's after those moments of failure, after those moments of obscurity when no one's looking, that leadership and Christ in you has an opportunity to help you grow and get back up on your feet again. So uh, hopefully that just is a, a good recap for you guys. Um, but I'd love to, to start with just a question for you guys. Um, what happens after you lose a friend? What happens after you lose a friend? I, I think this is a heavy question. I think it's an emotional question. It's a deep question. I think it's a question all of us, it, it's happened. We've lost a grandparent that we grew up with. Um, Maybe we've lost one of our children. Maybe we've lost a spouse. Um, It doesn't even actually have to be to death. What if there was a conflict? What if you and your friend disagreed about something and it was just like, well, it turned into kind of a cold war and then it turned into, I'm never gonna really see you again. And that hurts. Um, It could be just like a slow fade. Um, I have some friends that I was great friends with that I look back in high school, and like I'm not really friends with them at all anymore. So we can lose friendships slowly. We can lose friendships tragically. We can lose friendships over confrontation. And that's this question that I want you guys to just have in your mind this morning is what happens when you lose a friend? 
Because we, we've all lost a friend, and it hurts, and the pain's real, and, and we're confused. What do we do? It's depressing. It's hard. It's, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and you have a new friend. It's really painful. And so what happens after you lose a friend? And we're going to tackle that this morning. We're going to leave it right there, and we're going to come back to it. But uh, if you brought your Bible or you got your phone out, um, feel free to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. And we're going to take a look at the character sketch for this morning. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. Um, just so you guys know, Thess- uh, Thessalonica was a city in Macedon. Um, it was kind of the capital of that Roman province, um, and uh, it was a pretty flourishing, prosperous city. And uh, we're going to hear about um, some of these men who came in and helped plant a brand new church, and then they write back to these believers, this young church in Thessalonica, um, because these believers have some questions. So I know most people don't really turn to First Thessalonians a lot unless it's in their Bible reading plan or unless they have, like, questions about Jesus coming back because those are the two things that, that are really talked about. Um, and, uh, but let's read just the first three verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately we're introduced to three characters, um, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, And again, these people are writing back to this church. They're trying to answer some of their questions. They're new believers. The Thessalonians want to know more about how does this whole morality thing work? Like... We believe in Jesus, but how should we live? We're not really sure. Um, They had questions, again, about Jesus coming back. And then also they had some questions about suffering. Like, if if we believed in this really good God and this king, like, why are people still dying? Why why is there still pain and hurt? Um, And so we come to um, these three names, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So our character for this morning is Silvanus. And um, just to, to kick off, that's kind of a weird name. In um, other portions of Scripture, his name is Silas. And so we're going to call him Silas from now on. But I figured I'd, I'd, I'd do a little, um, you know, geeking out on you guys a little bit. Um, and the reason why was Frank and I were talking through all these, like, characters on the margins, okay? Um, well, Sylvan- Sylvanus was one that I was like, man, I'd really like to take a shot at. There's all these characters and, um, and Frank was like, well, why? And I was like, well, you see, in Lord of the Rings, um, <laughs> in Lord of the Rings, um, uh, a portion of the elves are called sylvan elves. And it's Latin for wood, wood elves. Um, and actually, uh, Sylvanus is a Latin name. Um, and we'll see that it's so important that why Sylvanus was uh, a Roman and a Latin. Um, uh, but... Uh, his name means, basically means Woody. Um, so kind of like, you know, Woody Allen, you know, Woody Harrelson, like that's what his name really means. So you don't really run across a whole lot of Silas's um, now unless like you're in homeschool circles. 
Um, so, um, and that's just, that's just, sorry if you're in homeschool circles. Um, or if you named your kid Silas um, and are not homeschooling. <laughs> um, so that's one of, that's kind of like the closet secret geeky reason why I was like, wanted to do this teaching. Um, but there's some really beautiful things that are totally aside from the geekiness. Um, so who was Silas? Who was he? It's not like, I mean, I, I'd hazard to guess that we're not all talking about Silas in our Bible studies. Who was he? He's pretty obscure. He's pretty marginal. Well, Acts 15 talks about him a little bit. And so let's just turn over to Acts 15, 22. Acts 15, 22. And we're going to get a quick insight into who he was. It says, Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And essentially what had happened, there had just been a council in Jerusalem where they decided that yes, it was okay for the nations and people who were not Jews to believe in the Messiah and to have the same faith. And so they sent Silas, who was a respected leading brother, with letters to the churches. Wow, trusted with letters in order to share the churches and share with people the message of Jesus Christ. You know, not a whole lot has changed. God is still trusting men and women with letters to share the message of salvation to people. That's cool. So Silas trusted with letters to share the gospel. And then he was a leading man. And, and again, what do we, we think of leading man was like, you know, he's the guy in charge. But again, let's flip it. That's not how the Bible talks about leadership. The Bible talks about leadership as being someone who serves. And so this leading man would have been a shepherd and a pastor serving people. So let's move 10 more verses down. So he's trusted with letters. He's a leading man. Acts 15, 32. We pick it up again. And it says, Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and strengthened them with a long message. Now those last two words might strike fear into your hearts. This won't be a long message today, okay? We'll be out by lunch. Um, but they were prophets, and they were strengthening and encouraging people with the word of God. And I think that's so important. And sometimes we, like, hear the word prophet, and we really don't know what it means. We kind of get scared. Like, this is like that crazy person that's, like, in the streets or predicting things. And um, prophets were people in the Old Testament and the New Testament who showed others the will of God, the way of God, and how to worship God. And they always called the people back to that. Going so far even to let people know when they were wrong and to come back to that. Um, so we see that Silas was a prophet and an encourager. And then last in Acts 15.40, you know that part I was telling you guys about when, when uh, you lose a friend and it really hurts? Well, Acts 15.40, you have to understand it in the context of losing a friend. And Frank laid a lot of the groundwork yesterday or last week with John Mark because Barnabas and John Mark were Paul's traveling companions, but, but John Mark left. And so then Paul's getting ready to go out on his second missionary journey. 
He wants to go again to the nations to, to bring to them with letters the, the salvation that's available to them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Barnabas is like, hey, Paul, like, you know, we should, we should take John Mark again. And, and Paul's like, no, man, <laughs> the guy left us. The guy's a flake. He abandoned us. I'm not hiring him again. I'm not taking him. He's a bad employee. We're not doing it. And Barnabas is like, nah, like we really need to do it. The, the, the Greek says there was a so great a contention, it actually calls it a schism. That sounds like a skin disease, but it's not. It just means this like separation. There was this feud, this war. And so it says that Paul and Barnabas actually parted ways. Like th their friendship kind of stopped. I mean, isn't that hard when you're walking with someone and you're friends with them and you think you're doing everything great for God and it's good and all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're going to move away or hey, we're going to go to another church or hey, like, you know, I'm just out of time to hang out all the time. I can't do it as much. It's devastating. And here Paul is devastated. A guy that he'd done ministry with for two years, one of his best friends is leaving. And it's not even over theology. <laughs> it's over a kid who left. And Barnabas says, I, I want to go back and, and try to restore him and help him. And, and Paul's like, hey, man, that's not what we're doing here. That's not my philosophy. And they part ways. And I, I'd hazard to guess that there's probably been a relationship in your life that for whatever reason just parted ways because of a disagreement. And maybe it was one that you had a lot of love and time and care and friendship invested in. And it hurts. And so what do you do next? And this is what our text says in Acts 15.40. Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So I don't know exactly how Silas would have felt, you know, but I kind of feel like you're picking baseball teams. And like the first pick's not there. Like it's going for the other team. And you're like, all right, I got the last pick. Come on over here, Silas. I don't think we should look at it that way. But I do think that's hard, though. It's hard to kind of all of a sudden feel like, hey, I wasn't planning on going this trip, but you're up. Batter up. Silas, you're up, man. You're coming on this trip with me. I love... The fact that Paul chooses him. And you know, maybe if you've lost uh, a friend, it's very difficult to open your heart back up. But what does the text say here? Hey, it's, it's time for you maybe to choose a friend. It's time for you not to walk lonely anymore. And I get it, that's hard. But I love that that's the text. And you know what was great about Silas? Silas was available and said, yeah, I'll go with you on this mission trip. I'm ready. I'm here to serve. I'm okay being that friend. I think we all need Silas's in our life, and we all need to be a Silas to others. So let's keep on moving through. Um, we're going to look at Acts 16 and 17. And we're going to come to our big idea. What was so beautiful about 
their friendship, but also what was so cool about Silas. Again, he's this character that means Woody in Latin. So let's see what's so awesome about him. So Acts 16.22 um, is where we'll pick up. So I just flip the page over. Um, it's your next page, Acts 16.22. Um, we'll start reading. Then the mob joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So we hear that they're just going to go on this mission trip, and then all of a sudden, I skipped over a few parts. Well, I'll cover it in a second. A mob attacks them. It's like, Silas, what'd you do, bro? He's like, Paul did it. Um, and what Paul did was uh, in uh, the city of Philippi, um, there was a, a slave girl who would just follow after them. These men are prophets of God. These men are servants of the Most High God. And after a few days, Paul was just like, be quiet. Come out of her. Yes, she was possessed. And as we get into this story, we see that, that, that this was a slave girl, but she was actually trafficked and profiteered by men of the city for all sorts of things. The sex trafficking was alive and well in the ancient world. And this woman was paid to share fortunes and to go after men and to do anything she could to make her master's money. And Paul says it's not just an economic thing at stake here. It's not like there's just trafficking. There's, there's something spiritual going on here as well. And he turned around and he cast the demons out of her. And it's powerful and it's good. And of course the response from these men is to instigate a mob that attacks Paul and Silas. You know, as we look at the Super Bowl coming up today, um, the Super Bowl is one of the most heavily sex trafficked events in our era. And that's what's real. That's what's going on. And we see Paul and Silas putting an end to the exploitation and trafficking of women. Isn't this what the gospel is about? Stopping exploitation of people by others because there's one king who now reigns. His name is Jesus Christ. and He's made us all in his image that we can love one another. And so for that, Paul and Silas are beaten stripped and thrown into jail. This is where we're going to pick up at in verse 25. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are still here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. 
He brought them up into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. And so Paul and Silas are in this jail cell, having been unjustly accused, beaten, stripped naked, suffering together. And I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that would, that would, that would happen, to, that happened to me is like, I think I'd want to cry and go to bed. <laughs> but then you're in stocks and you're in a jail cell that probably is not really sanitary at all. And, and I think in this moment that this is where Silas and Paul have this discussion and they say, hey, let's, why don't we praise God? Why don't, why don't we worship God? Why don't we sing some psalms and, and hymns together? And that would not have been my response to suffering, to pain, to hurt. My, my response, when will this end? God, what are you doing? And they say, hey, let's worship. And what's amazing about this is it says the prisoners listened. And so when there is this violent earthquake and the prison doors are opened, it's not like Paul and Silas want to rush out immediately. And isn't that sometimes what we do when there's pain or suffering in our lives? How can we get out as fast as possible because this surely isn't what God wants. God doesn't want me to, to have any pain or any suffering or any hurt. I just need to get out of it as fast as I can. Like what's the course of least resistance to get out of the situation? And what are Paul and Silas doing? They're still praising God and singing hymns and rejoicing in him. It blows my mind. And, and here's why. is because what blows my mind next is in the ancient world, if you're a jailer and you've locked these people in the most secure part of your prison and you've put them in a stockade, you've put them in chains and they get out, then you're going to die in their place. That was the rule. If you're jailers, it was a really simple rule. Don't let the prisoner escape. If you do, you die. Very simple rule. And here in this moment, I think this is so powerful because the jailer thought that he'd lost these people, but they were not there. They stayed in a place of suffering and pain, and they became a friend to the jailer who was at his wit's end, contemplating suicide with a sword poised to kill himself. And, and I think sometimes that's what not having a friend feels like, is you're just depressed. Maybe there's suicidal thoughts that you're struggling with. You don't know what to do or how to get out of it. And all of a sudden, you have guys that are locked up and are in chains, are going through just as much pain and suffering, and they say, we're here with you. We're, we're here with you. Don't do anything foolish or stupid or dumb. We're right here with you. Can we tell you about Jesus Christ? Can, you tell, can we tell you why we're sitting here singing songs? I think it's a move of the gospel. It's the same thing that plays out in the gospel as we are there about to kill ourselves. And God says, don't do that. You see, I sent my son. He's in the jail cell with you. He's actually going to die in your place so that you can walk out of that jail cell free men and free women. There's a beautiful togetherness that they share. 
One last aspect um, uh, about Silas. We see that they um, receive an official apology. <laughs> um, one of the reasons why they receive official apology is they should have never been beaten and never been thrown in jail. Both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Sylvanus, Roman citizen, willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Then we read in Acts 17, 4, they're going to the next city in Thessalonica, the words that we started this teaching on. And it says that they shared and preached the gospel. And it says, then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. It talks about one of them in a, um, named Jason a few verses later. And so I think we see that there's this three areas of togetherness. Three areas that Silas really, I think for us, um, helps really define who we should be as the people of God, uh, as leaders. Again, this is leadership sketches. And that's leaders suffer together, leaders praise God together, and leaders do mission together. And if we're sketching out what a leader looks like, what this person on the very margins of Scripture looks like, this is what he did. And he was by no means marginal. And what, again, I, when I look at that, and what's beautiful about that is kind of we see that maybe through like the epic, heroic story lens. But what if we're meant to see it through like this friendship lens? And coming back to our question, what do you do when you lose a friend? Well, this early church as they preached and taught the gospel, Paul and Silas were together. They picked up other friends along the way. <laughs> they picked up Timothy and they picked up Luke. They picked up Lydia. They picked up the slave girl that they rescued from trafficking. They picked up a jailer and his family. They picked up a great number of Greeks and God-fearing women and Jason and, and leaders. They picked up a lot of friends because the work that Jesus Christ was doing in their lives. And I think in a society and a culture where people don't have a lot of friends and that's one of the deepest needs that we have the early church and the message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone provided friendship and provided friends who would praise God together suffer together and do mission together one last cool uh, note on, on Silas um, well, two or three things that I think are, are really cool. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 19 says this, because Silas is mainly mentioned in Acts. Um, that's where we see um, him um, with Paul together the most. Um, but 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 19 says this, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, did not become yes and no, on the contrary, yes has come about in him, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, the amen is also through him for God's glory through us. See, when we look at Silas's life, we, we see that he preached Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, with his life. And he preached Jesus as the only source of redemption. We medicate ourselves a lot with 
trying to find redemptive things in the world. And Jesus Christ is that only source. And so after Thessalonica and after Berea, they come to Corinth and Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And what they're known for is they're known for preaching Jesus Christ. In your life, what are you known for? Are you known for living Jesus Christ? Do people see that and pick that up? And then we see, right, a beautiful passage that all of God's promises are yes and amen. And sometimes what we tend to do with that is we tend to twist that to say all of God's promises are yes and amen for me in Jesus. It doesn't say for me in that scripture. It says all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, meaning all of God's promises throughout Scripture have come true in Jesus Christ. And that word amen means there's a finality to it. It will be accomplished. It is finished. And it's what it's saying is that all of God's promises for you are wrapped up, even what Paul was talking up here for communion, in being recreated in the image of God by Jesus Christ. And I think that's the story arc of redemption in the Bible and sometimes what we tend to do is say, all of God's promises are yes for me in Jesus. So yes for a, a boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes for a promotion of my job. Yes um, for a nice house. Yes for a new car. Yes for this. It's God's will in Jesus. And that's not what the Bible says. God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all things. And so we as Silas understood it, need to be okay with praising God even in dark times. We need to be okay with suffering and we need to be okay with doing mission together. And as we do that, I think there'll be some really beautiful friendships that happen along the way. But you know what? That hurts. You have to open up your heart to being hurt a little bit and that's challenging and hard because you know what? You've lost friends. You've had some tough things happen. Would you open up your heart again to friendships with the people of God? Two other things um, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the greeting starts out with Silas. I think what's cool about this is, again, a lot of times people think that, oh, Paul wrote half the New Testament. Well, Silas wrote at least two books with him. And when you embark on friendship and praising God and suffering together, I think what's really cool is that you'll have a chance to share with others what that story's like. Silas shared with us what that story was like. He co-authored two of the letters that we have in the New Testament. And the last thing is 1 Peter 5.12. This is kind of cool. I'll just summarize it for you. Um, 1 Peter's writing, um, and he's closing out this letter. And he's letting people know that it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard to suffer sometimes. And, um, and then he says, also, I wrote this through Silas. I wrote this through Silvanus. And that's kind of like the way of, of, of Silas peeking his, his head around the corner. Hey, guys, I'm still here. <laughs> Come on. I'm on the margins, but I'm still here. I'm still helping write and edit and record scripture Again, Peter did not know Greek, and Greek was a second language to him. Silas knew Greek. He knew Latin, and he was helping Peter translate the words for God's people through letters so we would not be lost along the way.
So uh, we've sketched out a lot. Um, we've seen as really cool that Silas was really wired for encouragement and friendship. And uh, the big idea that I hope you guys can take away is that, again, leaders praise God together. They suffer together. And they also do mission together. And I'd love to maybe just cross out that word leaders and just say friends do that. And that's what the picture of the New Testament is. So these people aren't just leaders, they're friends, and this is what they do, and this is how they live, and this is who they are, and it's hard. So what's next for us? We've closed out this series. We're going to be kicking off a new series um, next week called Relationship Goals um, 2020. So that'll be a really fun series. Um, but also one of the things that we've talked about is just what does it look like for us as a church in the coming year to, to church plant? And... Uh, I think one of the reasons why Frank and I have picked this series on leadership and we walk through these people is right there from the very beginning, that these people in the New Testament on the margins were never marginal. And they planted churches and they did amazing things and they shared the gospel and they were friends and they were in a community and they, they stopped sex trafficking and they stopped the exploitation of women and they, they shared truth with their neighbors. And this is just who they were as normal people. And, and could we maybe just as some normal people in Jacksonville continue to do that as a church? Maybe open up a second location where we're just friends, praising God together, suffering together, and doing mission together. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, um, I thank you that when we have lost friends and when things are dark and when life is hurting that you've given your son Jesus Christ to us. Um, that all your promises are yes and amen in him even though that's really hard for us to understand. And I pray God that you would uh, even right now open up people's hearts to see that they have a friend in you who's laid down his life for them. And then I pray that you'd open up people's hearts to, to maybe take a shot at, at having some new friends. Having some friends in community together. Having some friends that know about where they're hurting. But also having some friends that they can do mission together. Or this is how you transformed ancient city after ancient city with the gospel. Lord, would you continue to transform our lives with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that his friendship is what we cling to, what we hope for, what we long for. We pray this in his name, in the name of Christ, amen.